Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, the they found the telephone and electricity line. Weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. College, career, marriage. These are all things many of us look forward to as young children. On September 8, 2009, a young student on the rise with everything ahead of her seemingly disappeared into thin air on her college campus. It would take a few days and a lot of heartbreak for everyone at Yale to figure out what happened to Annie Lee. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Annie Lee was born on July 3, 1985 in San Jose, California to a Vietnamese-American family. She was raised predominantly by her aunt and uncle and grew up to be an intelligent, well-liked teen. She was valedictorian of her high school in El Dorado, California, voted most likely to be the next Einstein, and went on to use her $160,000 scholarship to go to the University of Rochester in New York. She majored in cell development biology with a minor in medical anthropology and had done her research on curing both diabetes and certain cancers. 
she took this degree and headed to Yale for her doctoral studies in pharmacology. And her personal life was just as successful as her professional one. She was engaged to marry a man named Jonathan Wadowski, a graduate student at Columbia University, and they planned their wedding for September 13, 2009. The 24-year-old seemed to have it all. Her future was looking extremely bright. On the morning of September 8, 2009, Annie left her apartment and headed towards Sterling Hall of Medicine to work on her research. At around 10 a.m., she walked to the medical building where the research lab was located, leaving her purse and cell phone behind. She entered the building just after 10 a.m. as seen on security footage and was never seen alive again. When she failed to come home by 9 p.m., her housemates grew worried and called the police. The thing was, when they checked the security footage, Annie was seen entering the building, but not exiting. This building was extremely secure. Not only did it have 75 security cameras that covered almost the entire building, it also required a Yale identification card for access, meaning only those given permission could enter. Police closed the whole building and began their investigation. They also searched the nearby dump, and Yale itself offered a $10,000 reward for any information leading to her whereabouts. Her fiancé came from New York and her family from California, and it wasn't long before the disappearance of Annie Lee was all anyone could talk about. No one could figure out where Annie had gone or why anyone would have wanted to hurt her. It wasn't long before the FBI, the New Haven Police, and the Connecticut State Police were all involved. Over a 100 law enforcement officers joined in the search, and a few days later, a single pile of bloody clothes was found hidden in the ceiling of the laboratory. It wasn't until September 13, 2009, her scheduled wedding day, that authorities discovered the body of Annie Lee in a cable chase inside of the basement wall of the lab. As friends and family grieved, the medical examiner determined that her cause of death was, quote, traumatic asphyxia due to neck compression. Her bra had been pulled up and panties pulled down, semen found on her panty liner. Someone inside of the laboratory had strangled her to death with such strength that her collarbone and jaw were both broken. Her body's location, the basement where the testing animals were located, led investigators to narrow the list of suspects down to Yale employees and Yale students. No one else should have been able to access that building at all, let alone enter undetected. The media went wild with speculation and bubbled over with fear, outrage, and sympathy. There was backlash, however. Some said that, while the crime was heartbreaking, it was only receiving the attention it was because she was an Ivy Leaguer. That there was a pecking order, and that hers was only receiving the attention it was because she was at Yale and not some state college. It also should be noted that, in a sad example of irony, Annie Lee had, just months before her disappearance and murder, written an article for Yale Medical School's magazine titled Crime and Safety in New Haven. All of this aside, on September 17, 2009, a man named Raymond Clark was arrested in connection to Annie's murder. The 24-year-old laboratory technician, who was working inside of the building when she went missing, had a DNA sample taken the previous day and was released while waiting for results. His DNA tested positive when compared to the samples found in Annie's panty liner. Raymond was a technician charged with cleaning the cages inside of the lab. In the days following her disappearance, 
Raymond had been seen with defensive wounds on his face, arms, chest, and back, and when questioned, he did not pass his polygraph. When interviewed, those who knew Raymond gave conflicting accounts. Some said he was a good kid and a hard worker. Others said he was volatile and known to send threatening emails to research students when they left the lab in less than pristine condition. And according to an unnamed source, Annie received one of these emails. Raymond initially pleaded not guilty on January 26, 2010, and was held on a $3 million bail. But on March 17, 2011, he entered a guilty plea in exchange for a 44-year sentence. He also took an Alfred plea in regards to the sexual assault charges. He expressed great remorse for his actions, but gave no explanation for the attack. Some speculate he was sexually attracted to Annie, and her impending marriage angered him, while others simply think this was a workplace murder made by an angry and overworked employee. He is currently serving his sentence at Cheshire Correctional Institution and is scheduled to be released in 2053. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 9th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.